The 37th Psalm is where we are this morning. The passage that I just read. All of the Psalms are glorious. All of them are good because they're all inspired by God, by His Holy Spirit. And so we cannot say, this is a great Psalm as though another Psalm is not great. But there are some mountains where peaks rise above other peaks. Psalm 37 is one of those psalms that you would do well, even though it's 40 verses to memorize or to memorize many of the verses. And my guess is you probably have to some degree already. How are we to live in a world with so much antagonism to God, to truth, what we would say even sanity. You see it all around. You watch the news. It doesn't matter what network you watch it. You see the insanity all around. Insanity related to marriage, sexuality, truth, Christ, parenting, all of life. Politics seems more divided and nasty than it ever has been. There's a hateful and unforgiving spirit in our cultures that seems to go both ways. Truth is ignored on both sides. There's an insanity that's out there, a destruction on the family and freedoms. And you might feel, what about my future? What do I do in such a type of world? Or for some of you, you might even not be thinking that way. Your head might not be in the, in, in the news. It might be just the troubles that surround you at home or at work. For you, it might be your boss or teacher or parent or child or neighbor who, for a lack of better term, terms, are, are just nasty or vindictive or abusive or narcissistic or toxic or manipulative or malicious. It could be because of your convictions about the Bible, about gender or sexuality or abortion or marriage or Christ or sin. I mean, we just had Justin Phillips for One Life for Life and he faces 11 years in prison on federal charges for seeking to save lives of the unborn. It could be that you have people in your life that just, just don't like you. And they're set against you. And you don't even understand it. What should be your response? This is not a sermon about politics or how a Christian citizen should respond to our culture necessarily. But it is is a, a psalm from David in the light of evil doers or evil workers, he calls them, or transgressors or God's enemies, how are we to live and respond? This psalm is really helpful if you're in those situations and it goes way beyond that whether you're just, it's not evildoers or evil people that are trying to make your life miserable. It's just life is hard. I'm having a hard time getting it together. I am stressed I am obsessed with those troubles and I am greatly distressed. Help me. This psalm brings 
such glorious truths to a believer. Most of our problems in this life are actually not just because of the wicked, but that we consider the wicked of this psalm. But it might be family or friends that we want changed. And some of them, they're not saved, and so we long for them to know Christ, so we don't want them destroyed. We want them rescued. We need this song. That's what it is. It's a song. Because we need to have a perspective that, and that provides that this psalm provides us. Psalm 37 calls us to an attitude that embraces the sovereignty, the all-powerful, in-control God, the sovereignty of God, and trusts Him with all our hearts. It calls us to a humble dependence on Him, a fear of the Lord and a true wisdom. Psalm 37 calls you and I to be meek. Oh, that God would give us true meekness in the fear of the Lord. Meek. Not weak, but meek. Not abrasive, but meek. I've called this song, or this sermon, Happy are the meek. The psalmist delights in the Lord in the midst of great animosity surrounding him. And David experienced that from his father-in-law Saul to his son Absalom to all the Philistines to the kings in Gath, the, the different enemies that tried to destroy him over and over again. Okay, Psalm 37 shows us, I argue, with the wisdom of meekness, the wisdom of meekness. So let me define meekness to you. The meek are those who have godly strength and self-control of their words and their responses and their actions in the face of difficult people, or I'll say antagonism. Isn't it really hard to respond real well when somebody is such a pain? The meek have a strength to respond in a certain way. The strength, this meekness, is the strength or control that is gentle, not weak, is lowly and humble, not abandoning truth, and springs from a growing trust, not in oneself, but in a glorious God who has him or her and cares for him. This meekness requires a patience, being slow, slow to speak, and quick to listen. Verse 11 of this psalm that I read earlier gives us the verse that Jesus used in the third beatitude, which is found in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I think he's quoting from this psalm, verse 11, where the psalmist says, The meek shall inherit the land. Meekness. Or, can I say it's absence? 
Meekness is, the lack of meekness is exposed when we deal with difficult people. When enemies or unfair people or condescending people, you know them, mean people, hurtful people, it exposes whether you have meekness or not. It's one thing to know that you're a nobody. I'm a nobody in, in the face of God and truth. I mean, I'm just little me. But it's another thing to feel the pain of people treating you like a nobody. Meekness or a lack of it is what comes out when we deal with difficult people. One of, and so as we come to this passage, although this, this passage, Psalm 40, or Psalm 37, has 40 verses, it's, it's a kind of a tricky passage to just outline and organize. Some Psalms just break down and you go, this is this part, this is this part, this is this part. It doesn't quite do that. Um, and there's 40 verses. How can I go through 40 verses, and like the longer I went this week, and I had my sermon done, and I was coming to the end, and I kept reading Psalm 37, I'm like, I barely know what that verse means, and there's 40 of them. It's so rich, and so if anything, I can commend you to this beautiful psalm inspired by God for us today, commending us towards a type of attitude that trusts in God and equips us in the midst of all pain and suffering that surrounds us. I'm just, I'm just introducing you to this, this beautiful song for you for the rest of your life to devour, to feast upon. So this is how I'm going to divide it. I see the posture of the meek, especially in the verse 8 verses. And then you see the perspective of the meek in verses about 9 through 23, but it's, it's really all of the psalm. And then after that, verses 23 to the, close to the end, but maybe around 33, you find the provision of the meek. The first one is the posture of the meek. That's like, what I'm saying by that is, how do the meek posture themselves? How do they respond? What is their, what, how do they arrange their lives, their attitudes, their mindsets, and how do they respond to the things that are around them? And in the first eight verses is the primary commands throughout this psalm. The psalm sings and tells us to do something. It says, please do this, do this, do this. We're going to see this. And then the next two points are like how you do that first point. So if the first one is, what does meekness look like? Verses 1 through 8. Then the rest of it is like, where's the power you get to be meek? I need to be meek. It's not just, I can't just be meek by obeying a command. I need resources underneath to be meek. So let's look at the posture of the meek. And I'm going to just divide it up into the negative posture, or, or the negative commands and the positive commands, verses 1 through 8, and beginning with the negative, don't, be fret, don't fret or be angry. You see that at the beginning? The meek do not let themselves fret or be angry. Look at verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. And then go down to 7b, the second half of 7. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in the way. Over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8. 
Refrain from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. This passage is, this is saying the meek get a grip on their anger and their fear. The, the meek, David would say, will you just listen to me? And, and would you just look at 1 Samuel 20? I'm not going to read there this morning. If you just look at 1 Samuel 24 and 25, and in verse tw- chapter 24, we would see David as meek. And in verse 25, we would see him as not meek. We'd see him in 24, instead of taking things into his own hands, when his father-in-law, who wanted to kill him, was there, and David could have just struck him down and killed him. He trusted in the Lord his God and waited upon the Lord silently. And in chapter 25, when Nabal refuses to give him provisions, he is so mad, he's going to kill him and all his family. He just lost himself, and he was not meek. David is saying, would you just hear? Would you please hear? Be meek by, don't let anger when provoked and fear and fretting consume you. This idea, fret not, is used three times. Fret not yourself, verse 1. Verse 7, fret not yourself. Verse 8, fret not yourself. This has to do with don't get all heated. Don't get all burned up both internally with like anxiety and fear as well as anger. He says, I think the opposite would be we forgive. We trust in the Lord. We're going to see this in the next part. We don't let control, anxiety, and worry control us. The problem here is he says we don't he says don't surrender to this fear and anxiety. All of us are going to face it, but don't surrender yourself to it. I was talking to Larry Burke who's traveling right now to see to take care of Kim's parents, and he was sharing with me through a season in his life that was so difficult with people that were so painful in his life, and he said this psalm totally lifted me up and held me together. And he said, especially verse 8. So we look at verse 8, and I want to point you to this. The last line of verse 8, fret not yourself. What does it say? Fret not yourself. It what? It tends only to evil. So here's here's a sermon takeaway this morning. Do not give yourself or let fear or surrender to fretting which is both an anxiety and anger, both of those things, when provoked by people or circumstances, here's here's a wisdom principle, it tends only to evil when you surrender yourself to that. And this psalmist is saying, the meek are going to deal with a lot of stresses, but they are not going to surrender themselves to being stressed, obsessed with these things and distressed by it. I wonder what it's going on in your life right now. I wonder where, where those provocations are taking place. Who in your life, in your family, or your church, or your school, or your work, your extended family? Well, he says then, don't do this. He says, do this. Oh, 
This, this is a list for us to, to continue on, and I hope that you'll go back and back and back to these verses. He says, positively, negatively, don't do this. Don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fretting. Don't give in to anger. He says, forsake anger and wrath. But then he says, quietly wait on the Lord while doing good. He says, trust in the Lord. And do good. Now, just count the commands here. I mean, just look, look at them all. Look at verses 3 through 7. Trust in the Lord and do, and do good and dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness and delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart and commit your way to the Lord and trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently. Eight, at least eight commands that are all interlinked. And he's saying, quietly trust and wait on God. You have something going right now that is provoking you and hurting you in the form of people. The meek do not take revenge. The meek forgive the meek do not let the pains and the hurts of others to obsess them. Instead, they quietly trust and wait upon the Lord. When facing difficult news, difficult people, difficult circumstances, stop here and get this grip. Trust God. Do good. Dwell in the land. Befriend faithfulness. I tell you, when, when people are provoking us, it stresses us so much that it's hard for us to even do good because we got to clear the plate and take care of this problem because it's just messing us up so much. Sometimes he's saying, that's not ultimately your problem to clear the slate and make things all better. Trust in the Lord and do good. He says, befriend faithfulness. And dwell in the land. Just continue on what God has called you to do. And he says, delight yourself in the Lord. Take delight in God. Look to him. And we're going to see what we take delight in God about in the coming verses. And he gives us promises. Now, because there's so much here, we, this is a sermon in just a couple of these verses. But would you cast your eyes on verse 5 for a minute? Look at verse 5. I love this verse. Commit your way to the Lord. Literally, commit your way to Yahweh. Or more literally, roll your ways to Jehovah, to the Lord, to Yahweh. That, that's how it was translated at one time. Roll your ways to the Lord. What, what does that mean? It has this idea of doing, taking all of your ways, all of your the ways that are right now difficult and frustrating and confusing, the ways with difficult people and the news and at work and just, just the pains of life and circumstances. And he says, roll those ways to the Lord. What it roll is an, was an old term of, of taking those burdens and they're so heavy, you can't even just lift them even. You just roll them onto have shoulders that can actually take the heavy burden because you can't. And that is the Lord your God. And you say, too heavy for me, you must take them. 
you must take them. George Mueller was a pastor who started orphanages in the 1800s, accomplished so much only by God's grace, and was asked, what's your secret of getting so much done? And you always seem so joyful, though people are attacking you, you're dealing with pressures and anxieties. And he said, I rolled a thousand burdens on the Lord this morning. By which he means... He got up in the morning, went right to the Word of God, cling to promises like in Psalm 37 and what God says, and he started to take, oh, this. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. God, I, I lay that before you. I ask for wisdom and help and strength. I don't know how I could deal with this person once again. God, I, I just give this to you. You must do all the heavy lifting in my life because I can't. I will seek to do my best, but only in the strength that you provide. I'm nothing, you are everything, and yet you give me promises. Commit your ways or way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. When? I don't know. For us, it often feels like not soon enough, right? A lot of times, it doesn't seem like He acts soon enough, It takes faith to believe. And maybe that's why repeatedly in this psalm, he says, wait. Well, when? Wait. You said you were going to act. When? Wait. Wait silently. Wait patiently for him. I wonder what weights are on you that you need to roll upon the Lord The, the meek do this. This is the posture of the meek. The meek knows that they're so, fo- they're so easily fretting and get steamed up about things, things that they want to take control of, but they're not good at taking control of them because they just mess it up all the time. Proverbs, James says, the anger of man does, n- does not produce the righteousness of God, and therefore they're to be slow to speak and quick to listen Um, the posture of the meek says, I don't know. The heavy lifting has to come from God. Oh, he's so good. We're going to see this in a couple verses here in the verses ahead. I trust in him. That's the posture. A trusting, open hand, but also pushing to the Lord all our burdens and trusting on him. That is the posture of the meek. And then the next The rest of the psalm shows us the perspective and the the provisions of the meek. How in the world can I have this posture? How can I refrain from anger and fretting and being all steamed up about all these things, obsessed and distressed and overcome by stress? How can I wait upon God? How can I delight in the Lord when, when this is happening in my life, Pastor Daniel? But this is happening. How? Well, the meek have a perspective, and that perspective is a growing reality in our lives. We gather weekly to grow in this perspective. We here read this book to grow in this perspective. Let's look at the perspective. It's in verses 9 through 22, but all of the psalm shows us this. I'm going to just point you to three of the perspectives that I'm going to give you that they have. The, the perspective of the meek, number one, remember that the, weak, the wicked's time is really short. 
The people that are seeking to destroy your life, their time is really short. That's what the psalmist gives an answer and says, you need to have this perspective. When you have this perspective, it changes things. He says, in a little while, verse 10, in a little while, the wicked will be no more. How long? In a little while. He says, though you'll look carefully at its place, he'll be not, he will not be there. Verse 12 says, the wicked plots against the righteous. He gnashes at his teeth, his teeth at him. I think of the wicked gnashing their teeth at Jesus as they put him on the cross. Verse 13, but the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. It is not that God finds great joy, glee, and delight in the wicked or the punishing of the wicked. It is a poetical way of saying, do not think that the wicked will get the last laugh. They will not. God's God's ways are never thwarted. And in this psalm, it is meant to... Every Christian has this perspective as they deal with difficult people that are hurting us. We need to remember that true wickedness will be destroyed and it will not survive and it will not last. And in this psalm, he shows us several ways and illustrates it. Like in verse 2. Verse 2 he says, the wicked are, they fade like the grass and the herb. They'll They'll soon fade like the grass. They'll wither like the herb. Or you could go to verse 20. That the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord, they're like the glory of the pastures. I took a walk yesterday and there's dandelions all over the place. I'm excited about seeing those dandelions in August, are you? They're not going to be there. They're not going to be there in a couple weeks. They're going to go from beautiful yellow, some people do not like them, to white. And how long is that going to last? Well, he says, they vanish like smoke, they vanish away. Or verse 35, he describes it. In verse 35, he says, I've seen a wicked, ruthless man. Have you seen a wicked, ruthless person that has hurt and made your life miserable? Maybe not, but you know of it. And if you don't know, David experienced it. If many people in the world, in different countries, all over the place, are dealing with the afflictions of people that want to destroy their life. And he says, I've seen the wicked, ruthless man. And he spreads himself with like just great pride, spreads himself like a, a green laurel tree, flaunting around as though he'll last forever. But he says, but he passed away. And behold, he has no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. He's gone. And the point here is he's saying, the meek have an per- eternal perspective. Wicked will be judged. Now, some of you might be here going, But Pastor Daniel, the wicked people that are hurting my life right now, I don't want them to perish in hell. They're my kids. They're they're family members. They're, They're people I want saved. I know. And and I think in one perspective we say it should sober us not to get so mad at them even though it's painful, and not anxious about them, though it's anxiety-ridden, it gets us on our knees and pity them and pray for them and long for God to do for the wicked 
What God did for the wicked in your own soul, He saved you. He rescued you. David says the meek don't get all bent out of shape and burned up because they know their time is so short. What perspective, what wisdom. The the wicked troublemakers of our government, society, workplace, schools, and neighborhoods, they'll be destroyed. Let that perspective hold you. God will not tolerate rebellion forever. One day he will destroy the wicked. And I pray that he'll destroy the wicked in your life by giving grace and rescuing the wicked just like he did for you. May God use us. Because one of the ways he destroys the wicked is by answering our prayers and bringing grace, mercy, and repentance. You are saved because of God's grace, not because you were found in the status of being not wicked. And so may let us cry out and embrace this posture of the psalm with faith-filled waiting upon God, not delighting in ourselves, but in the Lord. The other, the other perspective that the psalmist gives to us is God's pleasure surpasses man's possessions. Look at verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has. The psalmist wants you to know, oh, with God and poverty, there's nothing like it compared to the emptiness, the vanity that the wicked have, the abundance of the wicked. Because the arms of the wicked shall be broken. Back to point one. Jesus is better. Help my heart to believe this. Daily we need to be in his word. Weekly or in worship. We're meditating on the promises of God. Where is my delight? Is your delight in politics? Is your delight in your hobbies? Is your delight in the pleasures of this world or is it growing to be the delight that will never ever die and that is in God through Jesus Christ and he's saying better is the pleasure of God in God knowing God is far better than all the possessions of the world. The meek know that and it sheds a perspective in all they deal with. Yes, I'm dealing with this difficulty but the day is coming and knowing God And trusting in Him and waiting upon Him is far, far better. If I can point you to last week's passage, Psalm 36, he says, Oh, how precious is your steadfast love. Because that steadfast love, I get to come under the refuge of His wings. He's my protection. I feast upon God's house. He gives me drink from the rivers of delight. He is my fountain of life. With light from Him I see So that's the perspective is there's, there, their time is short, those that afflict me. God's being with God, even though it's very little sometimes, there's nothing like it. Knowing him and trusting in him, I would rather have the gift of prayer and his promises and his presence than health and riches and none of that. The last thing I want you to say about the perspective is the perspective of the meek know this, that waiting upon God in faith is always worth it. 
Read this psalm and you'll see the psalmist constantly saying, it's in a little while, the wicked will be no more, but the meek will inherit the land. That's the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. This is the perspective of the meek. You see, it's it's wisdom. It's God's perspective. It's fearing God. It's having the long view of things. And there is a blessedness, a happiness that changes. It is a why throughout 2,000 years, godly people have been able to suffer with a smile and love people sacrificially and lay down their lives for people that are seeking to kill them. It's because they have this perspective. Uh, the last thing I want you to point you to is the provision. The provision of the meek. Can I just say three? But they're all over this passage. I'm, I'm, I'm going to begin in verse 23. Let me just say the provision is God's providence is over our lives so I can be meek. And God's sustenance is towards me so I can be meek. And God's assurances are to me. Therefore, I can be meek. I can face my adversaries and trials, trusting in God, not fretting and being anxious. Yes, I know the wicked are going to be judged, and I'm, there's a reward, and he is so much better. But this so much better is found in he provides for me. One, his providence. Look at verse 23. The steps of a man, or a man or a woman, a person, or a man, are established by the Lord. This idea, he He watches over the steps of man when God delights in his way. Or it could be when the godly man delights in God's way. I'm not sure how that second phrase is meant to be used. Either way, God delights in the one who trusts in him and God watches over your steps and mine. Even though the the righteous fall, verse 24 He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hands. I wonder how many of you have experienced falling this week or this past year. And what I mean by falling is some of you nod their heads and say, yeah, literally fell and it impacted my life. But others, it means I fell, I stumbled, I was in a bad spiritual place, I was broken, I was in a difficult place, I made mistakes, I blew it. He says, though he fall, he shall not be cast cast headlong because the Lord upholds his hand. These verses speak of a truth that the Bible and Christians have held to for so long. It's called providence. God watches over all the details of our lives so much so that a hair cannot fall from my head apart from his knowing a bird, a sparrow does not fall from the sky apart from God knowing. A bird doesn't travel from the north to the south to the north again apart from God's intricate care. All the stars are counted and known. He knows all of these things. Some of the his theologians use these terms. What is the providence of God? And they said it this way, God's providence is his almighty ever-present power, whereby with his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth, all creatures, 
and so governs every leaf and blade of grass this week, this spring. He's governing all of those things. Rain or drought, fruitful or barren years, food or drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, I could add difficult family members. Indeed, all things come not to us by chance, but by His fatherly hand. Oh, we know that. It doesn't make us like passive and we just don't do anything, but we just rest in Him. It's the only way we can wait patiently on the Lord. That's the only way why we can commit all our ways to Him. It's the only way we can stay sane and trust in the Lord and do good, delight ourselves in the Lord. He is watching over us. And the, the following question would be, well, what difference does this make in our life? What benefit is knowing this truth? Well, the benefit is that we, get to, we can be patient in our adversity. We can become thankful when we're prosperous. And with the view to the future, we can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father, that no creature, no circumstance, no person can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are creatures so completely in His hand, and this passage says, He upholds us in His hand. We can't move apart from His grace. That is God's providence. That is the provision of the meek. Agonizing people, all part of God's plan. You say, well, God never designed, if you say God never designs miserable people to be in your life, well, then don't throw the whole Bible out. I mean, Judas, Pharaoh, Joseph's brothers, all part of God's plan. And then the provision of sustenance. Look at verses 25 and 26. I have been young, David says. He's an old man now. We get his date. We get at least some age, and we don't know how old he is. I have been young. Now I'm old. He's speaking now as a sage to younger. Would you listen to the wisdom of years? I have not seen the righteous forsaken, and his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously. His children become a blessing. He's not saying that people don't struggle with hunger and difficulty, but the principle that he's saying is, I've seen God care over and over and over again. Have you seen God care? I, I know that you would say, most of you would say, yes, I've seen God care for me. The, the meek remember this. God sustains me. He, the sustenance that comes to my life is from God. I, I was thinking about this, this fatherly advice that David gives. I was young, now I'm old. I was thinking about this, and I couldn't help but remember years ago, it was 2016, and in fact, it's funny because my realtor's here this morning. My realtor, Andy, was helping me look for a house, and we were looking in houses after houses after houses, and we didn't find any. And I remember texting Pastor Jack. I remember Pastor Jack. He's with Jesus now. He's the founding pastor here. He was here on staff, and I said to him, nope, another house, it didn't work out. It's not good because he had asked me about it. I was a little discouraged about that. We, we weren't coming up with anything, and Jack texted me back. I've been thinking, this, this reminds me of the tone of this psalm, of this fatherly advice. I believe your father has just the right house for you. Molly, 
and your, you and your beautiful family. I just can't hardly wait to see it. When it's the right time, he'll show it to you and you'll love it. Keep looking to him for your expectations. And it just, it, it reminded me of that's the kind of courage he was putting into my heart. That's the kind of courage we are to put towards one another. I'm just thinking, I can't wait to see how your heavenly father will provide for you this week. I'm excited. I can't wait until he shows you the next steps of your life as you trust in him and do not lean on, make your expectations external things, but him and him alone. You delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In fact, that was the verse he gave me. I didn't know if I should come to faith church or not. In fact, at one point I wasn't wanting to come to faith church. The summer of 2015, we were waffling whether to come and I was on the phone with Jack and he goes, well, let me just point you to Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Just delight yourself in the Lord, Daniel, and he'll show you. What does that mean? It's put him first. Ask him to be the chief of all your affections. The, the third provision, last provision I want to give you is assurance. The Christian is given assurances of God's love. Not just, it might happen. It might, it's not just maybe, or the hope of a potentially forgetful father, but the assurance, God assures us a guaranteed hope. Verses 27 through 29, he says, turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell in forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. We sing this song, he will hold me fast, he will hold me fast, for my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. And we sing with great delight and trust that God is watching over us. Yes, this world far too often can look like a clown world than the king's world, King Jesus. Our political parties are not the answer to this virtue of justice we need. We will experience the pains of evildoers who will plot against us and draw the sword to destroy us, as this passage says, either literally or figuratively. You and I are nothing compared to God and we will be treated in this world by nothing, as, as though we're nothing by people. You will experience injustice and you will be hated by people. Don't try to be hated by people. Don't expose yourself with folly and foolishness. To you I say, blessed are the meek. Happy are the meek. The wicked get joy and their joy is for such a little time and it's not even real joy in the first place. And those in Christ Jesus with a provide, his providing and sustaining God that God gives and carrying us and holding our hands through trials and tribulations. And if you're here this morning, the source of all of this is found in the God in which David looked to. And that God came and sent his son Jesus to be our savior. And it was Jesus who was the meek person of all meek people. 
It is Jesus who saw the crowds and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Come and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Oh, that God would help us to look to Christ and Christ alone. He is the source of our delight, of our trust, of our waiting, of our nourishment, of our perspective and provision. It's all in Christ Jesus. And that's where we're going to come this morning. We're going to come and finish a song with a trust-filled lament. So worship team, would you come up? I'm going to pray here in a minute. We're going to sing, Afflicted Saint to Christ Draw near, your Savior's gracious promise here, his faithful word, you can believe that as your days, your strength shall be. Oh, he will provide, he will protect, he will nourish you and sustain you with his providence. Oh God, would you please help us, please open our eyes that we may behold the wondrous, glorious truth of your sustaining and providing grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.